What's up? It's Michael Yo. All right, here's I'm so excited today. Ernie the engineer, sweaty Ernie. Today we have in one of my favorite people, Donnell Rollins. Oh man, he's dope. You know, if you don't know, he was on the Chappelle show, Ashy Larry. Sticks and Stones came out. Dave Chappelle's uh, Dave Chappelle's brand new special came out, and all my friends have watched it. You know, he talks about the cancel culture. He talks about how no one can say anything anymore, how people are sensitive. It came out a week ago. A lot of people are attacking Dave Chappelle. Uh, I want to ask Darnell about that because he tours with Dave Chappelle. They're not just, they didn't just work together. They're like real friends. Yeah, I know. That's, that's amazing. Like, I, I can't even imagine being friends with Dave Chappelle. Like, your phone rings and it says Dave Chappelle. I'll be like, what? Is this real life? It's kind of like I know Enrique Iglesias. When he calls me, I'm like, what? Enrique Iglesias? It's the rhythm divine. Anyway, but Donnell Rollins, is what do you think about the special, Sweaty Ernie? Oh, man. Chappelle's on a new level, man. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I already knew he was, the, he's the GOAT for sure, but this really, man, the way he's just. It just feels like you're just talking to a dude, and he has a way to really connect with you that I'd never seen before. So you think this is his best one ever? Yeah, I do. Why do you think it's the best one? Because he handled the the hard topics head on. He didn't shy away from it and stuff that no one's talking about. And then he still is edgy. He does his stuff, and he does he owns it. I got to talk to uh, Donnell about this because you know a lot of people look up to Dave. Right. And we, a lot of people are not in the position with this cancel culture to be able to do that. It's nice to be a multi, multi millionaire, be able to say what you want, because even if they cancel, you're like, okay, what? I got a hundred million in the bank. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I want to ask Donnell about that. Uh, of course, Donnell's shooting his, uh, own Netflix special. So I'm very excited about that. But look, I got to say, man, have you are are you into the CBD oil and stuff like that? Hemp uh, the, oil? No, the jury's still out. I'm jury's not, still yeah, yeah. Look, I wasn't into it at all. And before I even say that, I want to let everyone know I'm not pimping this. I'm not being paid by this company. But I went to my uh, doctor's office and he goes, "Have you ever tried this hemp oil, CBD oil?" And I go, "Man, that stuff doesn't work." They put it on my lower back and my shoulders, and. Put it like I jammed my finger somehow and they put it on. I, I couldn't even move my finger. Literally, at the end of the day, I could bend my finger. I, it, it, it feels amazing. Like, I'm going to show everyone this. It's expensive, though. It's expensive. I'm not being paid by them, but I will say this. It freaking works. You see this right here? It's called uh, Quanta. Q-U-A-N-T-A. Have you ever heard of this? Never, ever heard of it. It's some kind of hemp CBD oil. Like, you can go on Amazon. It's It, it has great uh, ratings. It's like four and a half stars. Let me tell you, man, game changer. From My back doesn't hurt. And I'm not like, and I'm letting everybody know. They are not paying me to say this. I'm going to, like, on this podcast, you're going to get real stuff that real works. I don't care about the money. I just want people to get it. It's expensive. It's like 45 to $55. For, just for that little thing? For this little thing. What? But it goes a long way. It depends. You don't want to, like, grab a bunch of it. Okay. A okay. little, like, it's it's kind of greasy. So it's all, it's so amazing. I absolutely love, when I say love this stuff, I'm addicted to it now. 
Like literally, I want to go to a masseuse and get a rub down all in CBD. Just put weed all over my body. Just ah, I love it. You got to try it, Ernie. It's amazing. It's amazing. They gave me uh, the doctor's office gave me a little sample, and I used that for because I wanted to make sure. And man, that even sample went through that sample in like two weeks, and that sample was like, like probably like. Ten percent of this, and it lasts a couple weeks. You just need a little bit. Wow. Yeah. What kind of insurance do you got? You got that? Because <laughs> my doctors are not recommended CBD. To oh me. no, no, no. <laughs> oh, my doctor's dope, man. My doctor's dope. So if you, it's shit. I'm gonna put the link below uh, so you can check. But it's freaking amazing. It's taken me a week. Look, I'm a huge college football fan. I don't like the NFL. NFL. I I, I don't feel the fans are the same when college football. They're so into the game. I love the University of Miami. The Hurricanes. The Hurricanes. Here's the deal about them. They lost to Florida in week zero. It's taken me five, six days to comment about it, but I want to say I'm upset they lost, but it was very encouraging because I feel like Miami's going to have a great year this year. I love Manny Diaz. I love everything he's doing over there. I, I really, in the background, wanted to put a Miami Hurricane helmet, but my wife runs the house. And she, and this is her set design and she didn't let me do it, but I will sneak a Miami hurricane helmet in this set somewhere. I think I'm going to put it behind the guest. I'm going to just put it there and not tell her. Yeah. Because if she sees it, she's going to lose a freaking mind. So Miami, they play UNC. I'll be in Miami next. No, the, next. Yeah. Next Saturday, Friday and Saturday, September 5th and 6th, performing at the Miami improv. Here's what's crazy. A hurricane is coming. Did you hear about this? They're going to get a hurricane in my, like in the uh, Florida area this Monday. Next, so, so next week? Yeah. So Monday, they're going to get a hurricane. And then like, uh, that Friday and Saturday, I'll be there. So, you know, hopefully people show up. Hopefully everybody's safe first. Be safe. I lived in Miami. I've been through several hurricanes. There's always stupid people that die in a hurricane. They're standing outside like, wow, look at this <laughs> branch through the head. And it's hard to feel sorry for those people. You know, it's, it's like, dude. You had warnings. You had everybody on news. Because here's the thing. The news hypes up hurricanes because people watch. And then there's always an idiot. Oh, I'm going to go surfing. I'm going to do this. I'm not leaving. What's wrong with people, man? What is wrong with people? A hurricane's coming. Miami, please be safe. And then I will see you September 5th and 6th. As always, people follow me on the gram at Michael Yo. Also. Amazon Prime, my special is out, Blasian. Watch it, watch it, watch it. Please give it five stars. And download the podcast. Listen, give it five stars as well. Donnell Rollins from The Chappelle Show. He's on now. Michael Yo. Michael Yo. The Michael Yo Show. Celebrities. Can I be honest? I don't like male strippers. Pop culture. And comedy. That's what I'm trying to do, is streamline this whole thing into a cult. Plus, 10 things you should know with Yo. The Michael Yo Show starts now. 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 Darnell Rollins. Live in my the My man. Telling me no. Oh, I okay. can't. All right, I'm just No, saying. no, no. Can we, can we, let's just start with it, man. But my body. My, see, and I know you are, you are a very clean guy. Oh, yeah, but you can say whatever you want on I'm my just, podcast. But for you to... Even the attempt to sing that song with me, it really shows you the magnitude of R. Kelly's music back in the day. Yeah. It's hard to... So do you much, still listen to it? If it'll come on the radio, do you listen to it? 
<laughs> I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sure I'm not the only one that listened to it. My brother, right? My brother and my, I have an older brother. He lives in Watts, right? And I was talking to him about it, right? I was like, what do you feel about the R. Kelly? And my brother's gay. Not that that matters, but just the tone on which he says things. He was like, I'm never going to stop stepping in the name of love. So, <laughs> so if that, so if that, and he threw a yaws at the end yes! of it too. So if that's in the case, I won't buy, I, w- I may not buy any new stuff, but it's, it's going to be hard for me to trash I, TP too. Here, in fact, I just got rid of all my Bill Cosby DVDs, so I can't go through this again, sir. Did you really? I had to just for, not all of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not all of them. So. I mean, like, like all of them, but nah, you nah, only nah. had like four, right? Yeah. Okay. But I'm, I'm talking about like the DVDs, but then like, uh-huh. I'm talking about the DVDs of the Cosby show. Oh, said, man. People want me to get rid of that, but it was hard for me to get rid of that. But so. here's the thing. You got to understand that he did a lot for the black community, man. This is what, yo, this it's, is a, this is what people don't understand. Like you talk to a lot of white people, uh, Caucasians, you know what I'm saying? They want you to dismiss everything he did completely. And black people, we not supportive of any of the allegations, any of the things that he got convicted of. And if he did all those things that people say he did, Bill Cosby deserves to go to jail. We don't want Cliff Huxtable to go to jail. Yes. <laughs> it's two totally different things. Lock Bill Cosby up, but Cliff Huxtable, especially like you said, what he meant. And I mean, it's hard for people to look at both sides of that, but what he did for the black community, one of the first big time executive producers, producers to have black people in a, in, in a, in a dope ass environment. Two parents. They were lawyers. They were very, lawyers, do- very successful. Doctors. They was making submarine sandwiches, son. You know what I'm saying? Listen to jazz music. So I do understand the the, 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 the the evil person that we consider Bill Cosby to be. But, you know, the body of work that he created and what it did for for black people that I grew up with. Like, first time, some of my friends, first time they ever seen a college campus was on, um, on, the, on the real world. Yeah. You know, so... You know the, the weird thing is like you got a guy that projects this a different super world, dead, a different, different, world. different world. It's a different world. Yeah, yeah. it projects this image of being super dad, and that's what we know him of. But then, you know, you look at his track record, and it's obvious that he wasn't being the super dad that we thought he was. Now, Darnell, I've known you for a while. Uh, phenomenal comedian. Thank you, sir. Uh, you've been crushing it. You've been destroyed. You've been crushing it too. Hey, we're, you know what? And I see your grind from day one, son. I know. I mean, it was it was weird because I think the situation that you had was similar to the situation that. I say I had with uh, Charlie Murphy and, and and Bill Burr when we used to do this tour. It was like, all right, we are part of this, like with you with Chelsea. We're part of this hot show. And the show is giving me credibility. It's giving me a name. But how the fuck do I make money off of it? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? 100%. So, and, I, and, I, and, and that's what, I, you know, I've said, I mean, we had talks about it, Like, all right, I'm going to do this. And, uh, you know, people know you like the Jamaican of entertainment. Yeah. You got like a thousand different jobs. But to see you go from okay, how do I start this to doing it, to finding your brand, putting other people on and to be able to travel and get your voice out and make money, man. That's hats off to you. Thank you, man. Well, ever since I saw you, you were a crusher. Uh, just so people that don't know who Donnell Rollins is, now, was your first big break The Chappelle Show or did you have breaks before that? I think I don't think that I, that was the one that, uh, I had many breaks. Uh-huh. You know, when I first started, I came out the gate really, really hard. I was only doing comedy for six months. And I secured a spot on HBO's Def Comedy Jam, which okay. was unheard of. And I was going up against guys that had been in the game for like five years, 10 years, 15 years. I think that was the the first uh, break 
in regard to people getting to know me as a stand-up. And then I did little small things. Like I was a New York comic, so I got into the acting world. I did some Law and Orders. Uh, I did Ricky Lake for a while. But I did HBO's The Corner. I did HBO's The Wire. I think I, I got more dramatic work starting yeah. off. People didn't even know for a while. People didn't know I was a comedian. What's interesting, they say comedians can pull off like drama very well because, because they just got to go in and out. And, and comedy is for such a dark place. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Is your comedy from a dark place, though? Because I here's the thing about me is, I'm going to be honest, I don't have a lot of darkness in my life, but I, I see you as such an uplifting part. Every time we when talk I say, you, When I say dark, it's just like, when I, the dark part is being broke majority of your career, mm-hmm. the up and downs, the rejection and stuff like that. You know, I'm my, I don't my my comedy is not like angry or uh, like a dramatic undertone. It's funny, but it's the stuff before you get to the point where people even know who you are. It's the, it's the dark side. What was your toughest point? Where you was there ever a point you almost quit? Oh my god, never. Okay. And I never, and I know it sounds weird and I want to be kind, but I never had a tough part of my career. The first time I ever, first time I started as a heckler, I would go to, <laughs> I didn't want to do comedy. I would but you to, would heckle people? Man, I used to heckle people so hard that people came to the show to hear me heckle. Ah, uh, you're that and dude. Then, yeah, and you're I got, the dude you would hate today. Yeah. No, I'm the dude that I would destroy. Okay, okay. Yeah, being on the other side of it. And then I started, people started coming to the club to see me heckle. And I didn't know anything about the business of comedy or anything. So I said, um, I went to the club owner and I said, um, I've noticed that I've increased your business by 30%. I think it's time for us to come up with some type of door deal, right? <laughs> he looked at me like, who the fuck are you? I'm like, I'm the asshole that sits over here on that side of the couch. But um, first time I ever, t- and I think it was because people were excited about me doing comedy. It was like, we know he's funny from his seat, but he's like, you should go up, you should go up. Where was this from? Where were they? Connection to Greenbelt in Washington, D.C. Okay, gotcha. And the first time I ever went on stage, first time I ever went on stage, I caught a stand and all. And it definitely wasn't because of any joke I told. It was just the energy. People were excited for me. They knew you. They wanted they to see me. you. They saw me go on stage, and I crushed it. And I was so amateur, I didn't know what the red light meant. So I almost started a riot because... The red light came on. I thought, you see a red light. Black person see a red light. You mean stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? It don't mean, it don't mean wrap it up. They go, stop. You know, like, but I didn't know, I didn't know the red light meant, uh, wrap it up, make it your last joke. So I saw that red light. It was like, wee, wee was behind me, right? It said, and that red light came on. I said, oh man, they making me leave. And the crowd was like, no, fuck that. We don't never come here. And it was that moment that I knew that this was what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. And six months later, I was uh, selected to be on Def Jam. Because when I started, Def Jam was popping. Bill Bellamy was out there, Bernie Mac. Chris I mean, Tucker. This was like, it was a time when Def Jam, if you were on Def Jam for five minutes and you had one catchphrase, you were selling out in every black club across the country. So I would... um. I would open for different guys like Bill Bellamy and everything. I always was trying to be like, man, I'm trying to get on Def Jam. And it's like, oh, we're going to see what see what we can do. And Royal Watkins, who's a good friend of mine, he had already signed with um, uh, Rush Communication. Uh, uh, who was it? Uh, 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 damn, the Def Jam. I, why is his name um, slipping me now? He was Russell the, Simmons? Not Russell Simmons, Bob Sumner. Okay. So Bob Sumner was managing almost all of Def Jam acts he came through. 
So Royale was already living in New York, and I was still at the point where, you know, when you start in your town or whatever, you produce your own shows. So I'm producing shows. I told um, Royale I wanted to put him on the show. And he gave me his business card. I'm like, I thought we was boys, sonny. And he did it in a very cocky way, too. He didn't he fumble the through it. He flicked it like this. He hit me with the talk to your peop- my, my people. Stuff. Oh, man. So I was like, man, I'm not calling nobody to get you to. We cool. But I realized I still had a very powerful business card in my pocket, Bob Sumner. So one day out of nowhere, I said, I'm, I'm just going to try some bullshit. I'm just going to call Bob Sumner and try to act like I already know him to try to see if I can get him on the phone for a Def Jam, Def Jam audition. So I called, you know, Chrissy, Christy, she was a receptionist. She said, Rush Communication. I was like, yo, what up? This down there, where Bob at? You know what I'm saying? Like, I said it like, yo, I'm like, I said it like, if you don't get him on the phone in a couple seconds, you're I'm going to hang up. Yeah. I was like, wait, Bob, she said, who is it? I said, look, just tell him to call. She was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. She passed me through to Bob Sumner. Bob Sumner picked his phone. He's like, Bob Sumner's office. Bob Sumner, I was like, yo, this is Donnell Rollins. I know you don't know me. I work with some of the people that you manage, whatever. I just want to get a shot at an audition. And I guess he was kind of, thought was impressed, the, the aggressiveness of it. And then he said, can you do it? Um, can you come this week? Then I was like, oh, I got to see if I can get off work. He was like, motherfucker, you got a job? Right. <laughs> you know, like, how you going to be a comedian and have a job at the same time? But I was like, okay, maybe the following week. I got off work, went up there. Uh, I, and I don't know if you know, but the Peppermint Lounge. This I've was ne- before your day. Peppermint. <clears throat> people thought Def Jam was a tough one. The Peppermint Lounge was the toughest, way tougher than um, Def but Jam. But where is this, Peppermint Lounge? It was in New Jersey. Okay. And it was like a little jazz lounge. And uh, Bill Bellamy was the host of it. It started at Terminal D, then it went to the Peppermint Lounge. But it was like the premier spot for black comedy, for urban comedy, whatever you want to call it. And if you could, that room was so tough. The gauge was, if you could rip that room, the show would be easy. And it was one of those shows, I don't care who came through there. You could say, Mike Epps, we all been through there. You caught a bad one at a certain time. Wow. So I had a seven-minute um, audition. I went on stage. Five minutes, I'm killing. And then uh, uh, Royale comes to the side of the stage, and he said, Bob loves you. You got the show. I immediately said, good night, everybody. <laughs> because oh, while you were on stage, yeah, he said. Yo, I said, fuck that. I was like, you I'm don't want to ruin it. Because it could it, because it could happen. I've seen it happen where you got a good set, you got a good set, and then one joke, it kills it. But that's the only thing Bob will remember. And I got that. I, that um, I went up there. I got it. I said, good night, everybody. And six months later, I was on Def Comedy Jam. And what did that do for your career at that moment? Well, for me at that moment, like with all like with the pop up uh, shows like the Urban, the Chitlin Circuit, you know, you wanted to get work, but it was uh, black comedy was popping so hard. Then you had a uh, uh, comedy justice, you had a uh, BET, you had all these things. So a lot of clubs, even though you were funny, they was like a lot of clubs like you need to have two credits. Ah, okay, you had two credits. So that was the excuse me. That was the first step in building my resume for people to see, you know, on, on paper or just to acknowledge, like, he's from somewhere. So that was it for me. Like, there was no bigger credit at that time than Def Comedy. Oh, that was the biggest thing. Yeah, it that was. was. So, so then you moved to what? What was the next big thing? <laughs> next thing was getting fired from my job. Which job was that? I was, I was just, just not disrespect my gangster. <laughs> but, uh, I was head of security for a grocery store. I said it. <laughs> I said it, son. I love it's it. Out. Yo, I found out. 
I said it. I, now, I, was it in your it, was it in your neighborhood? You were the so you a, knew everybody that went no, in. Well, let, let me explain how I got the the reason why I even was in that field of work because I was in the Air Force. I was in the Air Force and I was a police officer in the Air Force. So you know, whatever job you do in the military, you usually pursue that when you get out. It was the only thing I was trained in. So I was waiting to be a DC police officer, and in the interim, I got this job as head of security. Safeway is a grocery. Shop. Yeah, Safeway, of course. Yeah, and then like they, you know, had a problem with you know people stealing shit. You know, so I, I was I uh, was in charge of five groceries. So I wasn't just the security dude. You know what I'm saying? I was a lieutenant, and that was the only reason I was a lieutenant because I bought my own lieutenant. Bus. <laughs> I was like, fuck that! I'll be a lieutenant, and um, I was I was. I was working. The, go, what was the question again? I'm sorry, I just lost my. Oh point. no, no! What was your next big break? And you said quitting your job. Oh yeah, quit my job because I was like, once I had to say that, I, was like, I don't want to work anymore. Not that I was lazy, but I was like, this is what I want to do. But I know, like, when you work a job, I had been working a job for maybe a year. So you know, you get you quit a job. Yeah. You don't get unemployment. Mm-hmm. You get fired from a job. You get unemployment. You get unemployment. So I had to find a strategic way. To, to get, get fired. fired. <laughs> yes. So I got fired from that job and I had unemployment for six months and I took what I was making for unemployment and the, the payback for the relationship I had with Royale, Royale kept on saying, yo, come up to New York. I got you. You can stay on my couch or whatever because he was hustling. We were good friends. He was like, I got you. I got you. He was saying that knowing that I was going to never say yes. But one day I just had this when, when I got fired. I called him. I said, I'm moving to New York. He said, when? I said, this Friday, motherfucker. <laughs> and I did it. I was coming out of the military. I moved to New York. I had a, a green duffel bag. I had like 40 bucks and an alarm clock and some clothes. And I went up there. And I never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever thought about doing anything else. And back to your question, um, how does it feel to be doing it? I've been doing it for 25 years. And after 25 years, I can honestly say every year, I think I'm getting better. And that's a tough thing for me to say. And again, it's not being cocky because how good I think I'm in a stand-up. You know what I'm saying? You get to, you get a person, they get to a height, and that's just it. They're at the point where they're ripping stages, they're making a lot of money. And they don't really challenge themselves creatively. They don't challenge themselves to get better. It's just like this. This is, I call it the money set. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You see some comedians, you see them rocking the same shit two and three years. Why are you doing that? I get paid the same amount of money. And I get to work. But I always, always, for 25 years, always want to get better. I've never been on stage and not went on stage with the notion of, I got to kill this. And that's been going, kill the room. And that's with. Well, you never go on stage thinking you have to kill the room? Or no, you no, go on stage saying, I got to kill the room? I got to. Okay. That's what my objective is every time. You know, sometimes you're like, oh my God, I just want to, I just want to dial it in. I've never, I've never been like that. And maybe that's what kind of separates me some, from some other people because after 25 years, it's hard to still be excited about anything. Yeah. 25 year marriage, you know, yeah. <laughs> anything is hard to be excited, but I love it so much that every, every time I go in every year and I'm talking about coming, I'm talking about having shows where I just smoke a room and you'll think that's it. And then like, wait a minute, this motherfucker figured out another way. To take it well, to but I think that those, that's what hungry people do. Yeah. You know that the people that succeed are never like 
they never reach a point where, okay, I'm good. Right. Like I know the people you talking about money sets and stuff, but right. the comedians I look up to, they're always pushing it. They're always getting better. No matter if they're doing arenas, they're like, right. I got to keep pushing myself. But then you will have those that just do the same yeah, thing, perfect. but they still selling tickets, you know, they're still selling tickets, but it's just like, I really love it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really like to, you go, you do a show and you got two people in the audience, somebody that needs to laugh and somebody that wants to laugh. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The need people, the ones that really get to my heart. You do a show, and I'm pretty sure you've been doing it long enough, where you're someone to come up to you, and they're like, man, I lost my aunt last yes. week. Yes. You know yes. what I'm saying? Like, yo, uh, my son was just in a car accident. I didn't know when I was going to go out. I didn't really want to be here, but you made me feel good. And for that 45 minutes or that hour and a half, made him forget you, it. you, you took it away from me. So, you know, I, that's why I, th- I think, like, our job is so important financially to take care of our families and stuff but it's just just it's just a healing thing man it makes yeah. me feel good it does i had a lady at this show this weekend in chicago improv she had a bridal party there you know her bachelorette party and i tell this you know story about my mom beat breast cancer and and then somehow it twisted into <laughs> anybody getting married because i talked about how my mom beat it and then i'm getting married then i asked this lady and it was the funniest, saddest thing because she was like, yeah, I'm getting married, but I just heard your cancer story and our both of our partners died of cancer Damn. and now we're getting married. And, and you looking like, <laughs> and then the energy in the room was like, and then, I go, and then I go, look at you messing up my whole show. You know, so I just, I turned it on his head and everybody, she started laughing. So it was a thing where after the show, she hugged me and she was like, this meant so much. And what people do, what they do, it means so much to them. But comedy is our therapy too. Yes, you know what I'm saying. It's like you frustrated. Oh, I gotta get on stage. <clears throat> you happy about something? I gotta get on stage. So as much as there's a need for 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 the fans and the people to pay to see you, it's, it's good for us too. I don't need. I don't even. But people are like suppose you hit it like real real big. You got millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in the bank, but you still do comedy. I would go crazy. It's such a part of my life. Oh right no, hundred percent. I would have because I would have to be even if I hit big, big like that. I would have to be able to go on stage and let motherfuckers know how I'm living. Right? <laughs> right? I have to be able to do that. Like you can't do that by yourself. No, I want to be in your face, motherfucker. I'm balling. You know, <laughs> you know give give you incentives, son. There's some incentive in this bitch. Well, even Eddie Murphy when he was on Seinfeld, cars were comedians. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was even like though. Biggest re- regret he has is not staying on stage after right. he hit that. You know, because you lose a part of yourself. Like it's even if that's we're, a t- but that's a, that's so, so tough. Especially like when you like him. You know, his comedic genius as an actor is what really blew him up. Yeah, you know what I'm saying Saturday Night blew him up, but then he could back it up with the special. But then I know that's so tough to be at that level on both and 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 to have that much money. But not only not just to have that much money have that much money at a young age. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to come into a lot of money. He was like 22, 21, like, something like that. Like 18? he was probably rich since he had teen in his sentence. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how many people you know who was like that? Like Dave was rich with a teen in his sentence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Eddie Murphy was the same thing. And you get to that point and it's like you go, because we do stand up to get to the point where uh, a lot of people do stand up to get to the point where I'm going to be a box office draw. I can do movies. He had all of that shit at the same time. You know what I'm saying? To be 20, living the way he lived, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's probably tough to be excited about going to do a spot at the comedy store. When you can do a movie. When you can do a Beverly movie. Beverly Hills Cop. And then it's a, another thing, too, at that level, it's like, 
you know, how honest is the audience with you working out? You know mm. what I mean? Because you go on stage, you know what I'm saying? You're like, a rock star. You can, you can sizzle. Mm-hmm. Like Chappelle, he go on stage, he could he could sizzle, just stand there. Michael Jackson did booty pass, just stand there, and people start passing out. So when you get to that point, how do you get a true gauge? Well, how does well? Let's you're, you tour with Dave Chappelle all the time. How does he know if his jokes are really funny? I know he makes jokes about I'm so good. I don't think I, the re, I think Dave knows his jokes are really funny because he thought of them. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like it's, he, you know, he's not the type of comedian like okay, knock knock. It's like it's almost all observational stuff. You know what I'm saying? And when you come, if you're a person and you'd like just everything about you is funny, you just need to talk. You know just what I'm saying? Get it out your system. Think, yeah, I don't even think he ever looks at like, oh, this is a joke. I just think it's like, this is a sentence. This is a phrase. You know what I'm saying? This is something that if I talk about, I already know that I'm funny. I got to, I can put my little ish on it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think everything he, he thinks funny. You know Do you? I mean, when y'all talk, is he a type of comic? Because I know, and I want to get your writing style too. Is he more of a writer, or is he more a conversationalist? And then he'll think of it and just go on stage. I think. I think for me being around him, it's conversation. I think like whatever's a hot topic. You know, what I'm saying if something like you know something that gets him excited. You know, what I mean, it's like what the fuck is up with this? Let me go out there and talk about it. Got you know what you. I'm saying? I don't think it's like this. I need to write a Michael Jackson joke. It's just like if you watched fucking Leave a Neverland, you're going to find some shit, you know. I know it's hard for people to take finding something funny about Neverland, but, you know, our comedy is, you know, I think the dopest comedians are the ones that push it. You know what I'm saying? The ones that push it. I always say, you got those butterfly bits. You know what I'm saying? You got a bit that you know that's like, Every time you put it out there, you're like, well, the audience and also is going to go. Mm, uh, yeah. yeah, but but can you stay in the pocket? That's what it is. Man. I call it, gotta, well, yes, I see. So you got certain, you got and certain, then you got to double down. You got to double down. I see certain. I mean, you got the Michael Vick type comedians, then you got the Tom Brady type comedians. To Michael, I consider myself somewhat of a Michael Vick type of joint. My shit is rapid fire. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. When I get the ball, I don't know if you're going to block for me or what. <laughs> but I don't know. But I'm, I'm still running. I'm running. I'm running. <laughs> and then you got the, and I consider, uh, I consider like Dave to be one of those ones. They, they, they composure is, they so smooth. They so cool. They look at the whole playing field. You know what I'm saying? They not scrambling. There's no sense of urgency. It's like almost to that point where you're about to get sacked and touchdown. You know what I mean? They don't that's mind tough, that silence. They don't mind it. And that, that's the toughest. That's the toughest thing for a comedian to deal with. That's silence. You know what I mean? See, I got. I, I guess because I'm from radio. See, I started radio first and then went in stand up. Like, so you used to the silence. Yeah, because you when you talk, the best parts in any interview are when you ask somebody a good question and then they have to think about it. Right. Like that works on TV too. Right. So I, I was used to the silence. I was used to that. So and then you used to. Probably doing radio shows where it's just you talking to a yeah, mic. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, I was just used to talking to people. But like, as far as your writing style, what do you, are you writing it all out, or I are you? I don't like your uh, concept. Like, well, here's some bullet points. I'm going bullet points. You know what I'm saying? It's a premise. But it's like I was thinking about it the other night. I was uh, running around doing spots, and I was like, "What if? Uh, just imagine what level you'd be on if every time." You thought of something funny, you wrote it down. You know what I'm saying? Oh my god! Like we, we, but we, we never get rid of it. It goes into a hard drive. 
I mean, you ever do a set and people like this? Was that the first time you did it? It was the first time I spoke of it on stage. On stage, but it's, but been, it's my, been there. But that connected with that, that connected and it all, and it all came together. I know if I was like a, like a, like a Seinfeld, you know what I'm saying? Like a Neil Brennan. Those people, like those are wordy people. Yeah, you got to write that. They, they just like boom, boom, boom. Just gonna get me that. That's that's their way. But my thing is like for me going on stage, the best shows I have is when I feel real good. Yeah. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you feel like man. It's sometimes I feel like man, these motherfuckers are in trouble tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's and it's it's partially because of what I want to talk about, but it's how I feel. You know what I'm saying? If I feel like I'm going to go destroy it, nine times out of ten, I'm going to go destroy it. Sometimes it doesn't work out like that. But, you know, for me, it's just a it's a, it's a, a feeling. If I feel that I'm about to be powerful, then it usually translates. I love that. We I think we were at the improv. We were both leaving the improv. And we were talking about leaving on a bad set. And Darnell was like, I don't care where I got to go to get that last laugh. I cannot end the night. He's like, I, you said this. I will go to a grocery store and grab the microphone. <laughs> Yo, you, especially I got grocery store experience too. First time it says, put them red beans and rice down, motherfucker. I see you, Tay Tay. And then as soon as you get that, like, all right, now I, I can I'm go good. to sleep. That's the most, and the worst thing about it is like, we're so conditioned to fucking say thank you to the audience, even if you have a bad set. Like, you know, the funny thing you sit it back and somebody took a took a hard one right and it's like thank you for your time I love y'all you think you guys have been great I'm like no motherfucker you wasn't great tonight you might have been great for Mike you might have been great for Joe but for Donnell you wasn't fucking with me you know that's hilarious but that those are those are set the one the sets that don't work out those are the ones that make you come back stronger. Yeah, those because, make you grow. That if you crush and crush and crush, those don't really make you strong. The ones that is when you say that butterfly moment, or yeah. when you say that joke that didn't land, because now your brain's like, "How am I fix this? How am I fix this?" I'm gonna fix it. And this, it's and, not on cruise control. And this is not me because the worst. Thing, I mean, you know, you, you a lot of some comments that leave after they do a set, but there's nothing like hearing. And we do have huge egos. Yes, good set, good set. Good, the worst. Is when you, when a mother say, good seeing you, right? <laughs> you like, oh shit, maybe I didn't. Or they don't it. say nothing, like, maybe mm-hmm. I didn't gauge the show. I gotta tell you a quick story about not gauging your audience. You know, Jay Davis. Yeah, of course. Jay Davis used to do a comedy night at Pink Tacos. Yeah, I remember right? that. And um, this was, uh, and I used to go there every once in a while. And this was maybe like three or four years ago when I think it was, um, everybody was coming out that they were gay. The NBA player, I forget his name. But everybody was coming out. Like, I knew it was a football player too, the linebacker, Sam. But it was Brad. a basketball player too. Oh, okay, I don't it's know. A basketball player. But you know, everybody was like, "I'm." Everybody was like, "Every, everybody, I'm gay, I'm gay." And that before I did Jay's room, I was doing a lot of black clubs. And you do a black club, you go on stage and say, "Damn, you gay, motherfucker!" Like, "Oh shit, give him a show." Yeah. <laughs> Yo, that motherfucker just ripped that shit. So, oh, you said gay. <laughs> you didn't have to have a premise. You didn't have to say no. anything, right? <laughs> So I was on the road. All I had to do was say, oh, and this was my opening line, Mike. I said, damn, is everybody gay? I was like, how big is this motherfucking closet? <laughs> is it a Kardashian closet, right? Yeah. And that would get me in, right? So you're at Pink Taco on, on Pink Sunset. Taco. On su- wait, wait, wait. It gets, it, was, it gets worse. So I'm up there like, it's like 150 people there, right? And I, and I opened up. I was like, is everybody gay? And they looked at me like, huh? But I was in the zone. I didn't even, I wasn't really paying attention to them, not really connected with it. And I kept going on and on and on and on. And it was, Brett uh, Riley had went on before me. 
he destroyed. I'm like this, hey man, that white boy could destroy. I'm about to tear this shit up, right? Yeah. I'm like, yo. You, and um, I went on at the breath, and it did not work out. <laughs> it did not work out. And Jay usually always had nice things to say. He was like, good seeing you, Donnell. And it was felt like that uh that that that, that walk after somebody has sex. What's that walk called? Oh, the the walk of shame. The walk of shame. From the stage to the bar, nobody wanted to buy me a drink. <laughs> Sarah no, McLaughlin's playing in the so, back. I will. Yo, it was like one of those save the animal commercials and shit, right? <laughs> so I get to the bar and I'm like, even for people to give me half everybody's looking at me like this, whatever. And then Did um, you feel on stage it wasn't going well? It just, I just understand why I was, oh, I just pulled the race card. I just said it's because I'm black in my oh, mind, yeah. right? That's the easiest thing. I got the race card on deck anytime. So I, bow, no ketchup with french fries because I'm black. Bow. <laughs> right? So I was like, what the fuck just happened, right? And then uh, Jay told me, he said, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, it was Lance Bass's birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, I was what then I'm like, now that makes sense. Cause those faces are like just get out of here, get out of here, right? Now I'm at a it's Lance Bass birthday party. And, and by the way, he's such a great guy. He's oh, yeah. like, like I, I know him personally, he's a great guy. But to you to do people and 130 were to celebrate his birthday. So they wasn't feeling it, right? Because they felt like you were attacking him. And their people. I think they was, thought I was attacking their entire community. Their, their you know community, what I'm that's what I'm saying. But I didn't feel that way because I had come from a comedic um, uh, environment of those jokes where it wasn't that sensitive. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I went from one extreme to the next. All black, all black club to motherfucking sunset. I just did not read the yeah, film. Yeah, you didn't like, read the room. And I was, and I was like, because I don't usually take hits. And so I was just wondering how people felt. So maybe like a week later, I saw a Brett rally, right? And I said, um... Yeah, man, you did a good job at that show. That he said thanks. I said, he said, I, don't, I said, I don't think the crowd really liked me. He said they didn't. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, how do you know? He said, because I hung out with him after the show, right? And they put Brett to the side. They was like, yeah, you did your gay jokes. You were funny, but they didn't even give me no names. Bro. <laughs> They said the black guy. <laughs> they, they did this. They was like, he just kept going on oh, and on and on. But that was a perfect example of you thinking something gonna go one way, and I just didn't have any more audibles, man. I just like I'm running this play, and I got sacked. It hurt too. Uh, so I'm I'm happy for you because September 12th, you're shooting your first Netflix. Yes. Uh, d- uh, what's it called? The the disgruntles, the, the, the degenerates, the degenerates. Okay, yeah. so you're shooting that. There's some other comedians on it, but man, I know you've been working your career. We've always talked about you getting a special on like Netflix. Right. This is the first part when you destroy it because I know you're going to destroy it. You're going to get that special next. Long the as Lance Bass saying in the audience, I'm good to go. Son. That'd be funny. That'd be funny because if I just hang like this, well, well, well. <laughs> bum bum bum. Who decided to come to the pink tacos of Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't. I don't want to. But I'm excited about it because I haven't done. I did a, a hour special years ago. It was on Comedy Central called Ashley Classy. At that point, you know you've been you do comedy for a while. You have all these jokes, and when you tour, you do the jokes. Then after a while, they start getting old to yep. you. They're new to other people, but you don't have that excitement of it when a bit is brand new. Yeah. So when I did my first special, basically it was just like 
a couple years of all of these jokes that I wasn't getting excited about. I just had to put them somewhere. So that special, um, it was funny, but it didn't. You know, you hear this all the time with Santa Special. What's your point of view? Yeah. Who are you? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You couldn't tell who I was by anything that happened in my life. You could just tell. It was just, just jokes. It was just funny jokes, jokes. Funny jokes, funny jokes. So. I always know. say this. I always say this. Uh, just my only, my little nine years in comedy, I learned that people outgrow jokes, but they don't outgrow you. Exactly. So. And that's the thing that you, and, and, and you worry about that sometimes too, because you sometimes you do, you know, we do swim, like it's a year turnaround in the clubs. You're like, I wonder if that person was at my show, whatever. And um, then you like you say to your to your point, it's like they want to see you. Yeah, you know? they want to know about your life. They want to and know I know life. since you had a son, Austin just turned three years old. Four, 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 four years old. Yeah. I know that I've already seen you start incorporating more family than you ever have. Yeah. Do you feel Do you feel like it's opened you up to a whole new arena, and you like the pocket you're in now, talking about family and your son? Yeah, because it's the dopest thing I ever did in my life. You know what I mean? So, as most comics, the dopest shit you ever do, you want to talk about. Like, if you was a porno star before you did comedy, you like you want to talk about how you used to smash people. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that time, man. We did a double banger, 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 banger. <laughs> but it's the dopest thing in my life, and it's the thing that gives me more excitement than anything. Oh, it's the best. And I told myself, you know, before, and we talked about it too, you're like, you know, you... You think it's kind of like hacky, like, oh, God, he has a kid. Here it goes, the being in the birthing room bit. But it's so you and you're so connected. It's and, not- and if it's good, it's your own thing that nobody's heard before. Right. Because 10 comics can have delivery stories. Yeah. But it's different for every single well, person. Well, I know nobody's going to have a delivery story like mine because... When I when 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 Austin was really well, like when the contractions hitting everything's about to pop, I was so excited, right? I you know I washed my hands, right? And I had you know the hand sanitizer. And when you put the hand sanitizer on you, your shit get ashy as shit, right? <laughs> your shit get dry as hell, right? And all the nurses knew me for the Chappelle show, right? But it's so funny. I mean, like this baby, we gonna do this? They be like, damn, you really are ashy, like. <laughs> And I told it looked doctor, like he had white gloves and I on. Said, and, I, and Dr. Greer, to the one that delivered what also to the world, I said, Dr. Greer, you, you got to give me some of that mineral oil. Because, you know, the mineral oil is yes. what they used. Damn, that seems so graphic, right? Yeah. But, like, the mineral oil is where it did the whoop, the whoop, the whoop, the whoop, yeah. you know? And uh, it was so funny. They tossed me mineral oil in the middle of my son coming to me. <laughs> so I know nobody has that delivery room. See, story that's like what that. I'm saying, man. Yeah. You know, where, where when it's that close to you. But then again, you know what? If I... It, one thing I could say, fuck you about, like, if you have an issue with me talking about the dopest thing about, like, me talking about my kid. They don't need to. They don't need me because that's, yeah. that gives me joy. And my son But who would say that? Yo, you got, that? Some, no, you got some people out here. You got some people out here. I'll tell you who say that people from broken families, <laughs> people whose dad might have been locked up. <laughs> you know, your dad did 20 years. You don't want no father shit. Fuck you and your father. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Show Off. Uh, yeah. But it's so funny about the whole father. I know this is so wrong, but I just had my son's birthday party, right? Yeah. And um, you know, plan a, when you plan a, a birthday party, you care if the parents show up, but you really want the kids. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And it's I, I said this, I said it's so funny. Cause if you invite 30 black kids to a birthday party, you get 30 parents. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you invite 30 white kids, you get like 75 parents. <laughs> you get nannies, you know what I'm saying? You get nutritionists. What's that word? What's that word? Opar or pair? What is that? What's that for the nanny? The ones that... Um, Y'all Latin motherfucker. Y'all in control of the whole I don't, shit. I don't know. I just a know pair. Of, I'll figure a it out. Pair. It's a I, it's a it's a fucking fancy it, ass word. Is that an expensive name? Oh, yeah, that's what it is. It's an expensive yeah, name. That is, and usually they come like with nice breasts, nice waist, and blonde hair too. <laughs> oh, is that yeah, how they yeah, come? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's usually au pair. So they're Swedish. Yeah, is that what exactly. <laughs> they Swedish as a motherfucker, son. <laughs> I see you with your au pair. <laughs> Your old pair is popping over yeah, there. I see you with your old pair. So, do you already have your set like done for September twelfth? You already know what you're gonna oh, do. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. But the thing is, the funny thing about it is, I, I've done past. I've done TV tapings, and then when I um take it too serious, you you sound like a robot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, t- I keep reminding myself because I've done other stuff since then. That was inexperienced. That you got to trust yourself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You can't just rely on a joke. You got to trust yourself. And even if you feel it's one way, but you go on that stage and it's something that you connect with, with the audience, that person in the front row, whatever, you got to, you got to rock with it. Cause you don't, people know when you're doing your set, but it's nothing like something that happens in the moment. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'll give you an example, Adele Givens. Def Jam years ago, she was popping. She had a good set. She, had, she was having a good set. And then uh, there was a guy, and because Dell Gibbons got big lips. Uh huh. It's not being racist or anything. It's just. Is, is she the one that does the tic tac with the well? Yeah. Man, that damn joke. Somebody said, them big lips. She said, mm hmm, these big lips. He said, these big lips. My dick and these lips would be like giving the well a tic tac. Yes. You know, and that phrase was like, I remember that. That was probably, and it was it was in the moment. You can't plan that, but you know, going into the degenerates and this tape, and it's fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes is a sweet spot for me. Yeah, I mean, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let it all out and just keep myself open for anything that might happen. That's know? awesome. But I'm excited because I think that this would, with this, I'm not guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed. I'm not guaranteed to have another hour. But I think that this could really lay the foundation for I, me. I hope so, man, out. because yeah, you got, everybody in the game knows you destroy. And it's just now, now you got that shot to really open the door for yourself. Yeah. And you, it's almost, it's your Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, and then when you shoot your next special, that's the second Super Bowl. No, it's Bowl. my Super Bowl commercial. I'll play it's your the, Super Bowl yeah, yeah, you're going to play in the, I'll play in the next one. I like this. Yo, he had a co-commercial, yeah, but he's played in the game and scores a touchdown next Now, time. speaking about Netflix, Dave's special just came out. Right. And it's getting a lot of heat from different sides. It's supposed to. It's about, And that's that's exactly what he so he wants to do when he yeah. does that. And did you tour with him when he was practicing yeah, I knew this it. material? I knew it. So you've seen everything. I saw, saw everything, and I was like this. I was like... I was talking to him the other day. I was like, there's only two people that could probably have a set and talk about the things you talk about it and and feel it like you. I said, you and Richard Pryor. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You might want to stress it and say a George Carlin. You might want to go far back and say a Lenny Bruce. But a person that is so free to talk about what they want to talk about and what people misunderstand about the whole thing, like, do you believe this? It's a funny take. I do the thing too soon. 
right? And people say, Darnell, is a joke too soon? I'm not insensitive. I think at some point a joke could be too soon. But someone has been doing kind of for 25 years, I don't think it's ever too soon for a funny observation. And we in a world now of... Uh, of of cancel what do they call it the, the cancel culture cancel culture they want to cancel everything you know what I'm saying and here's the thing to all the people like want to boycott and all that type of shit these are fucking jokes some people do clean jokes some people are Seinfeld some people are uh, Jim Gaffigan and then you got the Chappelle's then you got the Chris Rocks then you got the Eddie Griffin but all it is with comedy is like you go to a comedy show something about that person's Name, personality that draws you to him. So when you go see them, you want to see what their point of view is and what their perspective is on life. And if you go to a comedy club that you want to see somebody that thinks just like you, then you got to fucking Google. Find the comedians that match you. Just like that. Because we're not politicians. We're not preachers. And as much as people want to be upset with Dave, none none of the jokes I heard or anything that encourage anybody to hate anybody. It don't encourage anybody to go get a gun and shoot up a school. It doesn't do any of that. It's his observation. And while he was building this set, I remember one time we were at the improv, and he said on stage, he said, comedians, now is more important that we grab our balls because it's, 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 it's our job to make fun of the things that's troubling the world. Okay, so, you know, I hear comedians say that, like very successful comedians. It's hard for people coming up that are broke to take no, that that's same point. point of view because you can get canceled in this no, town that, and no, never that, go up. And that's why I said there's only a certain amount of people that can have a set like that. Yo, 100%. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not knocking it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You want to come up you want to come up and you got this deal, whatever, and all of a sudden you make one wrong mistake. And it's gone. It's unfortunate. It's gone. You know, I'm not speaking of that. I'm talking about Dave, and like everybody doesn't have the financial freedom. You know what I'm saying? Dave doesn't need the industry for anything. No. The industry needs him. When I watched the set, I said the set. It was, I was like, do you realize how free this yeah, man. Because I know you watch it. Everybody watches it like this. Oh, there goes Pepsi. Oh, there's go Nike. I'm oh, thinking, there's go so-and-so. When I'm watching it, I go, this is a dude that has no worry in the world. Like he's just all about like his his ranch in Ohio. He doesn't man, the need dude anymore. Is so gangster. People won't invest in themselves. This last special, you know, it's next Netflix situation. They're going back and forth, going back and forth. Production date is set. It's going to be shot in Atlanta. Netflix, they don't, they just haven't come to terms yet for whatever it is. I don't know the business side of it. But he told me, he said, man, fuck it. He said, I'm going to bet on myself. You know you gangster when you say, I got this million and a half dollar production. <laughs> right? And they, we don't know what we're going to do yet, but guess what? I'm going to pay for that shit. And Dave paid for it out of his pocket. All of his specials. That's gangster. Yeah. When you have motherfuckers like, say, Monique, and I love Monique, you know, that, and the big thing was about the Netflix situation, yep. or whatever. When you have situations like that, you know, bet on yourself. Shoot if your you, own thing. Because if it came thing. out that good, people would buy it. They're going to buy it. And that's what I say. And the dude is like, the guy, he's like, not just that I work with him, like, he's one of my closest friends. Oh, 100%. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, no, just the Chappelle show. Like, that's my dude. You know, we cry together. We go to funerals together. We go to weddings and all that type of shit. You know, and just the, 
just to, you know, to see what he's done himself and the integrity and how he's done it. You know, everyone loves to use that song, I did it my way. He really did it the fuck his way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The walk away, people always ask me, you know, when, when he first walked away, do you think he's crazy? I was like, um, I don't think he's crazy, right? I say, but for me and my financial situation back then, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Walking away from $50 million, you might not be crazy, but that Wednesday yeah. <laughs> was wacko Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> the way I look at life and the way yeah. I see it. But everybody, again, everybody can't stay in the pocket, but I just, yo, fuck that. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to chill. And what people don't know, even when he left the show, he was still doing shows, but it wasn't like you heard like this weekend at Constitution Hall. It was just like his name was strong enough. I'll go to a spot. Run, and sell out in like five seconds. Everything. And then people like Dave Chappelle, people like, like say Louis C.K. When I, when they, they're not the same, but when I'm, someone has asked me, what do you think Louis C.K. <coughs> going to do now? It's over. He's a comedian, comedian. You'll never be able to get rid of his fan base. And people always going to want to go see him to see what he's talking about. And that's the thing, man. This is Those why this is, this is why I love comedy is like once you have your fan base, uh, they are your fan base. Like Trumpet. Yeah, I call it Trumpet. You got <laughs> this is my fan base. Fuck them liberals. Yeah. Forty percent. I'm with the MAGA motherfucker right now, you know. <laughs> but that's it. But you know, and like like you you made a good point when you said um for the younger guys, that's tough for somebody. It's tough because you, like, I'm be honest with you. We look up to the Dave Chappelle's. We look up to people like that. I know you got to run, but no, we, I don't. We look up to those people. You trying to get rid of me? I know that old trick. No, no. You said you had another. Yo, 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 yo. His publicist, his publicist said, "Oh, you. Oh, he's got to get out of here. You no goddamn publicist in this bitch." <laughs> You're the one that told me you nah, nah, need nah, to do it. Cool. It's no, good, man. No, but but we look up to like a Dave Chappelle. We look up to these com- comics there. Say so you got to speak your mind. But also, we're in a position where we're still trying to come up and people get to have, that level. And different people have different brands. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I couldn't even imagine you. <laughs> they would be like this. We think Mike is on heroin, man. <laughs> And you going to like this bitch was sucking my dick and be like oh oh <laughs> they be like no no they be like yo yo got it they be like got it be like what the fuck Ryan Seacrest gonna be on the phone and shit Oprah Winfrey we told you about him with that goddamn Chappelle crew what are you doing Mike we had you right there you were the next goddamn Cosby <laughs> So we had you in uh, line to be Cosby. You uh, fucked up. You fucked up. Oh Fuck with them keep it real, motherfucker. <laughs> Guess what, Mike? This is when keep it real really goes wrong. <laughs> you were right there. You were right there, right there. All right, Donnell. Uh, where can people reach you, man? Where, what's all your socials? You're starting your brand new YouTube page I got as well, a new right? YouTube page. I'm going to start. Everybody, like you said it, we said it behind it, and Joe said it. Everybody's like, yo, you should do a podcast. Everybody thinks everybody should have a podcast, but I feel like... No, Joe Rogan, specifically, me and him were talking, we were like, Donnell Rollins needs his own podcast. It's going to happen. I'm going to start... You know, I was telling you that my only issue was years ago, I had a lot of YouTube subscribers before YouTube was like really the popping thing. And then I had a bad business relationship with someone and basically... They took everything. They took everything. So now um, um, I'm starting from the ground up. Like, I literally... 
on this one page, I literally have like a not even a hundred subscribers. Oh wow! Okay, you know, and then you know, in the business we are, people like judge you about how many people follow you and shit. Absolutely, Quick. you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you talk shit to somebody on on Instagram. <laughs> you got a hundred. Yo, followers. yo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got a hundred. Like, shut like, up! You're like, yo, fuck you, fuck you. Do you go that page? Yeah, says the guy with uh, following eight thousand people with fifty followers. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you feel, but you know, I think that people that's been following me, you know, my fan base is organic. People that follow me on Instagram. They, they follow me because I provide good content. So this is going to be the next step. So, you know, it'll be... you can It's on YouTube. How they find it? YouTube, just Donnell Rollins? Donnell Rollins. Okay. Yeah, or go to my website, Donnell Rollins. I have a subscriber. Okay. So I, I'm telling you, I'm so new now, I have to put out a link for people to attach themselves. Wow, so okay. Whatever this is connected to, what do we do like this? Link below? Or yeah. Where's, where's, yeah, no, no. No, just uh, go in the bio and the links will be there. Or yeah. in the description, we're going to put the link to Darnell Rollins' new podcast page and on YouTube. And I haven't been home in L.A. in like for like 12 days. It really feels like I'm here now. So I'm going to do the podcast run and I'm going to I'm going to start my own thing. My only con- – you know what really, really inspired me to really want to do it? What's that? Because you know, like you were talking about earlier, like you used to talking to people. So I tried it. About two months ago, when Joe, first, I went, but what I was doing was, I was trying to do everybody's podcast. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm like this, oh, Joe does it like this, Bert does it like this, you do it like this. So I try to do everybody's shit in one podcast. Yo, <laughs> yo I had green screen, I had computers, yo. I had walkie-talkie, son. I had all type of shit going on. You had the hot wings on yo, the table. I had everything. I ran like, ooh, this is too hot. Wake and bake, smoke box. I did everybody's podcast in one podcast. Bert Kreischer, you're doing it yeah, with no yeah, shirt off. shirt off, everything. Right? And then I'm like, and I, I I never was comfortable when I was doing it. It was so, it was, people say, people just want to hear you talk. So it wasn't really going right. And I just got up out of my seat. I was like, man, fuck this podcast. I don't want to do this shit. I'm walking off the podcast. The producer's like, you can't quit your own podcast. <laughs> I'm like, fuck you talk about. It's my podcast, right? So I had to sit back down. And, and then if I ever blow this up, this will be the, the first podcast you never saw. But my point is, my son is so damn dope. We were having dinner one day, and um, we were talking. I'm just listening to him. Talk to him like an adult. And I was like, I said, Austin, I want to start a podcast. He said, I'm going to start a podcast too, daddy. <laughs> I was like, okay, can I be on it? He said, nope. I was like, well, he said, my podcast is going to be better than your podcast. I said, how was that? He said, because I'm going to have flowers in my studio. Oh, see, I don't know where this came from, but I'm first off, I'm like this: who the flowers for, son? <laughs> you know, I mean, I want to know that they, they, they could be they could be for anybody. But then I said, I said, um, I want to do a podcast. I said, but I'm nervous. He said, I'm nervous too, Daddy. I said, why? He said, I'm nervous because you nervous. Oh, and then I said, I said, um, I said, and what do we do? When we nervous? He said, we don't give up, Daddy. And I was like this, ha! Yeah, I was like, but this is the same kid that. When he slammed the door the other day, slammed it hard, like to the level when I was, if I was younger, it was me young, I would have got a whooping, but I can't whip my son because he goes to a private preschool and he'll snitch. <laughs> they build him to snitch. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Right? And uh, I was like, don't you ever do that again. He was like, he ran. I said, I know he's in private preschool because he left the room. He said, daddy, I'm frustrated with you. <laughs> I left, call home. His mom talked. She said, Austin's upset with you. I was like, I don't give a fuck if he's upset with me. He's going to be, going to be he got so many years to be upset with me. But I wanted to know what he said. I said, why do you say he, 
She said, I don't want to tell. I don't want to say it. You're going to get upset. I said, what did he say? He said, he said, I want daddy to pack his things and move to New York. I said, that sounds like something you said, right? <laughs> he said, he said, I want you to pack. He said, I want daddy to pack his stuff and go to New York. I'm frustrated with daddy and he's invisible to me. Wow. As a dad, two emotions go through my head. I'm so sad that he said I was invisible to him, but that sentence he's used and how he was straight gangster, I'm like, he gonna tear their ass up on the right. playground. There you go. Like, yo, yo, they be like, this fuck you, Austin. You're invisible to me. Get out of here. You know, but he inspired me to do it. So anybody, if you want to, you know, it's gonna happen within the next week. It's gonna be the Donnell Rollins show. You know, I didn't, I, then I was like, is it gonna be like too soon or whatever? But I don't know exactly where it's gonna be yet. Yeah. So I wanted to be open for me to be able to do whatever. So All right. I'm excited about it. All right, my man. Well, thank you for stopping by. Thanks for having me. What's your uh, Instagram, real quick? So, Donnell Rawlings, D O N N E L L R A W L I N G S, like the sports equipment. Donnell Rawlings. And all right, if you're listening, watching the podcast, make sure you subscribe, 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 and give it five stars. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Thanks Donnell. Thanks for having me.